Adding wholesale as a channel to your store is a great way to increase revenue. But how do you offer customer-specific pricing in Shopify? Well, there's a bold app for that. It's called Customer Pricing, and it's great for wholesale, of course. But it's also cool to add things like a VIP program, where you reward your best customers. It's so easy to use. To put a customer in a price group, you tag their customer account. That's it. Or if you want to get fancy, the app could do it automatically for you, tagging customers into groups based off how much they've spent, how often they've ordered, where they're from, or what products they purchased. For example, let's say a customer spends $500. We could automatically tag them as silver, and they get 5% off. Then when they've spent 1000 or more, they get tagged gold, and now they get 10% off. And with the tagging by product purchase feature, you could actually sell a membership product and then give members a discount, not unlike a Costco or a Sam's Club. Now, as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their customer pricing app free for two months. Just go to kurtelster.com bold, and you can install it from there to get the exclusive offer. kurtelster.com bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page, so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. Okay. So wait, hold on. You're drinking coffee, not tea? Yeah. <laughs> I, I am. And and to be um, defend myself, my grandfather always did start his day with a cup of Japanese green tea, but he did drink a significant amount of coffee. And um, I, I do both of those things. So I am an apple not far from the tree in some regards. When... In your your grand tea community experience, this is the cold open. Do is there a war between tea and coffee drinkers, and should I be preparing? There is no war. Um, I think that there's been this shift. I, I mean, I'm not a. I would not say I'm like an aficionado of coffee, but there's clearly been this shift in how people are looking at. Like originally, people were drinking like diner coffee and Folgers coffee. And then we got into a little bit more specific coffee with like Starbucks. And then all of a sudden you get into these very direct from the, the growers or um, these specialty coffees. And I think that that's something that's been in tea for a while. So like tea has been waiting for coffee to catch up in a sense, but Ooh, the, consumption, the consumption of, of tea is far less, at least in the United States. Um, you know, worldwide it's number two, but coffee, I think it just had this Americana association that tea never had, especially since, you know, we, we used to drink a ton of green tea and then World War II happened. It's like, mm, sorry, no more Japanese green tea for obvious reasons. Um, and I don't believe there's a war, but we did actually just write a really fun <laughs> blog post series about tea and war. 
Um, but that was more about the revolution, uh, the Boston Tea Party, and opium wars. I will have to send that to my wife, who is, is quite the, the U.S. history buff. All right, on today's episode of the Unofficial <laughs> Shopify Podcast, we're talking to a man who knows more about tea and has probably drank more tea than anyone else I know, maybe even you know. Talking to Emmerich Harney of Harney and Sons Fine Teas. The Hemp Division. If you're familiar with. What was that? And the Hemp Division. Oh, and the the Hemp Division. You're right. Yeah, you've got uh, several brands under your belt. But uh, Harney Tea is a a fantastic tea, it's a a ton of variety. It's been around a while. You could get it uh, in Target. I've seen it in, in all kinds of coffee shops. I drink it, I love it. And uh, I greatly enjoy working with Harney on their, their website, their very successful Shopify Plus site. And Mr. Emmerich Harney is joining me. Uh, so Harney and, and Sons Tea, Fine Tea Company and Emmerich Harney, uh, any relation there? Um, <laughs> I think I'm a cousin. No, uh, I'm actually third generation of the tea, not magistrate, because that would be the wrong word, but yeah, of the tea family. <laughs> My grandfather started the company in 1983. My father joined the company in 1988. He had been working in Chicago at a hotel, which is where I was born. And then my uncle joined in the mid nineties, my mom, my brother, myself. So I started really working for the tea company as a a kid, but let's say as an adult, when I was 23, I opened up our shop in Manhattan. The the origins of the tea company is is certainly, it's, it's a bit longer than I would say most Shopify website stories might be my grandfather had gone to you know hospitality school and was managing inns throughout new england you know staying a few years here and then moving on and he had ended up in salisbury connecticut which was where we were originally headquartered in the mid 60s and he had run an inn there and it was there that he had met this gentleman stanley mason and stanley mason had worked previously as a broker in new york city buying tea and and just you know for uh other tea companies, uh, you know, purchasing from overseas. And he himself was three generations a tea man. His father had been a tea broker. And before that, uh, his grandfather had actually been a grocery merchant selling tea. So maybe the least, the lowest on the totem pole, but still very important all the same. And Stanley had started a small tea company in Salisbury, Connecticut, and really started to peddle this idea to my grandfather of quality tea. You know, in in the 60s and even 50s, 60s, 70s, people were really looking at instant coffee, instant tea. You know, how can we enjoy something as simply as most affordable as possible, as simply as possible? And this idea of specialty coffee, specialty food, specialty tea, none of it really was that successful at the time. But my grandfather, with his hospitality background and working, you know, at these different inns, really took pride in providing an amazing French American Chinese cuisine. He had hired this man from China to do all this authentic Chinese cooking in this small, small town in Connecticut. And was obviously putting a lot of emphasis on the food. He was grinding coffee fresh for service so that aroma was wafting and making customers excited to have a cup of coffee. So Stanley Mason walked in off the street, which is not a very big street in Salisbury. It's a town of 2000 people at that time, probably much less. And- (laughs) That's like a village, that's a hut. It, it's it's small, <laughs> um, and so he encouraged my grandfather to take pride in his tea service in the same way that he was taking pride and, and emphasis on quality coffee, quality food. 
And so throughout the 60s and 70s, my grandfather worked with Stanley. Eventually, Stanley went into full retirement. And, you know, there was some mixing and matching of he acquired the company, but wanted to start his own company. And so in 1983, Harney and Sons, without any sons involved, was born. But so, so when Har- was it called Harney and Sons in 1983? Yes. But it was just him? It was just him. And, you know, it's, it has a nice ring to it. Like, Harney Fine Tees isn't as nice. And I agree with you. Who's to say parents shouldn't guilt their children into working with them? (laughs) Yeah, they're like, as soon as he named it Hardy and Sons, but it was just him, there's definitely an implication there. Luckily, it's an extremely successful business. It it, it honestly, you know, we started. So when he was starting to take over Stanley's business, which was Serum Tees back in, you know, the, the late 70s, early 80s there was only about six varieties of tea and he was selling them out of the basement of his house. Well, basement of the inn first and then eventually the garage outside the house. Ooh. And I mean, I don't think ever in my grandfather's wildest dreams that he would have imagined it being the size that it is when he passed or that it was when he passed or that it is today, which is, you know, he passed away six years ago and we've come a very long way in six years. I would say, there's lots of factors, but obviously Shopify is one of the largest factors from the direct-to-consumer side. You know, to go from six flavors to now well over 300 was a oh huge... Gosh. Yeah, it's... it's and, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you will pick my brain about it, but each of those different flavors has multiple packaging SKUs and, you know, it's... it's All a, right, so if you've got 300 varieties of tea, how many SKUs are in this store? I believe... So, so most SKUs we sell loose tea only. And so those have like a sample of four ounce tin and a pound. And then we get to our more popular selling teas that we uh, offer in tea bags and sachets and iced tea pouches. And so I believe the number is somewhere between like 1200 and 1500 SKUs um, total, maybe. Wow. Give or take. That's quite a lot of tea. I have worked on some coffee stores. No one had more than a hundred SKUs. It's a lot to manage. You know, one of the things that we're working on right now is we're migrating to an ERP system and it is a journey to say the least (laughs) to make sure that all of the data that we've been using for the last 25 years or so that was incomplete, I would say, generally speaking, needs to now go into this new ERP system and there are so many steps involved, but it, it's in the long run, it's going to benefit us because we are also a wholesale business. We do a lot of direct to consumer business, which you're familiar with working on our site, but you know, a majority of our business is export and wholesale. So we do hotels, we do casinos, not so much right now, uh, restaurants <laughs> also not so much right now, but we also sell to IRA, we sell to Amazon, you know, we, are, are there private to, do people private label harney tea is there like secret harney tea out there we do a lot of private label i have signed a number of different ndas so i can't tell you whom we package for but there are a lot of different distributors uh, nationwide that we do so i did want to try and paint a picture for people of just how of what a a large and storied institution right. harney has become over the decades and you've started to in broad strokes fill that in can we describe it as an eight-figure business i think you know maybe in the next few years you could have said such a statement about us the 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 pandemic 
obviously seriously cur curtailed a lot of our growth. You know, we, we have managed to pick up Walmart again, which we had worked with Walmart about four or five years ago, and then they dropped us and now they brought us back. And that's been, you know, amazing for us. We love the simplicity of working with Walmart, I should say, as, well, I don't know if that's everyone's really? experience, but it is our experience. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot to obviously, I'm not too involved with the day-to-day -day of it, but it is a lot to set up. But once you're set up, we as a brand, we just talked about the fact that we have somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 SKUs. With Walmart, we have like four. So it is so easy to just make sure those four items are in stock anytime Walmart might want them. And that's, you know, and it's great distribution. It's, you know, one of the things, and this is kind of a segue, but not, that my grandfather had always wanted for our company is to make tea an everyday luxury. And I mean, you really can't get more every day than going to, you know, going to Walmart and finding a good cup of tea for, I don't know, I think it's like $4.99 or $5.99. So it's a really great introduction to our brand being in places like Walmart, Amazon, et cetera. We, but to kind of go back there about the eight figure business is that 60, 70% of our business was wholesale and restaurants, casinos, hotels. It's, it's, it's nothing right now. So we've been very fortunate in the fact that our e-commerce business has been able to fill in a large number, not all of it, but a large number that we were you know, missing from that. And then Amazon and IRB as well have grown. So this business really had um, a tremendous number of income streams. And that's like, it's wholesale, but wholesale is divided up with, you know, I've seen it in independent coffee shops. Um, it's in huge nationwide chains like Walmart. And I know I've seen it in Target. Um, and you've got uh, then hotels and restaurants and casinos. And then on top of it, it's direct to consumer and on other online marketplaces like Amazon. So you've got this system set up where, wow, just like you would want a diversified portfolio, you have diversified the income streams in this business where, you know, when something terrible like the, the pandemic occurs, you're able to weather it. Absolutely. I, I can't take credit for it since my purview is retail, both in-store sales, we have our shop in Soho, and then e-commerce. But my family and the people that, that have been with us, you know, we have a lot of long-term employees, have really developed this multi-revenue stream where, you know, not only are we selling direct to those hotels and those casinos and whatever it may be, we also have a lot of distributor, uh, distributors. So you know, whether it's a beverage distributor in Manhattan that's, you know, moving our, our bottled beverages or it's something like UNFI, which is picking up all of our, you know, our tea bags and our sachets. Um, we have a lot of different channels. I mean, I think we did like a, a, a Starburst diagram and there's at least 12 to 15 different channels that we, we operate under. And so there's also different pricing levels for all of those, which is something else altogether. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely allowed us to pivot in this time where we lost a large part of our revenue streams. And, you know, originally our reaction was very protective. Yes. But we've now been able to... It was like, I well, I don't know how much you want to go into, but I remember talking with you about it and it talked to you a lot of people and it was March and no one knew what was going to happen and we're all scared and handling it in different ways. And... I would describe your approach as aggressively defensive. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, that's something that as a company, it, we're super, we're super bootstraps. And, and I think that throughout our history, there have been moments where, as my uncle likes to say, we've flown really close to the sun. And that's not a, 
very positive statement. And so we, especially at least, you know, being in the situation that we are with e-commerce, it's super easy to be aggressively defensive since the majority of our budget goes to, you know, top of the funnel, mid funnel, low funnel acquisition, conversion stuff. So we were able to curtail our spending immediately and, and just protect ourselves in that regard. But I mean, we quickly saw that that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> and people were seemingly more incentivized than before to either shop direct or to just consider consuming tea and consuming tea at a I would say not an alarming rate because I don't think you can consume tea at an alarming rate, but in a much aggressive <laughs> a way. rapid pace. <laughs> at a rapid the, pace, you know. How would you well, so what do you think the the pandemic's impact has been on tea? More people are drinking more tea more often? I think I think a little bit that's something that's true. You know, people being at home more, maybe there's this idea that they can be consuming more tea on a regular basis. I think that there's also this idea that there are wellness brews, like whether they're herbal infusions or, or a combination of tea and herbs that can help strengthen your immune system. And I think that people are just looking at what they're consuming during this pandemic. And it's really easy to say like this warm beverage that tastes great, uh, at least, you know, in April and May, and obviously it's a little bit different in the summer, we, we focus more on iced tea, you know, we, we've really lucked out in that regard that people have wanted to to consume that more. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, that's nothing you could have predicted. It just happened to be the case, you know, in a time where everyone's feeling action anxious, I don't necessarily want to be chugging more caffeinated beverages. Um, <laughs> you talked a lot about the, the story uh, behind Harney and it's, you know, this decades long, interesting family business. Is that part of the brand story? Is brand story important for you? Brand story is hugely important to us. I think it's what really, it's one of the elements I should say that really sets us apart from our competitors. We have this tradition, you know, from my grandfather's perspective, he learned from Stanley Mason, who was three generations a tea man. And my grandfather passed down information to my father and my uncle, and they have passed it down to my brother and myself. And none of our competitors have that whether you want to look at it as six generations or three generations, have that story to tell. And I think that tea especially is something that is something that you, you, you share with somebody, you have that interaction, you can taste it, you smell it. It's all this sensory experience that you can't necessarily just get out of a book. You can't just read about it. So, you know, being able to share our sourcing stories, our family stories, you know, we, we think that that is something that makes us very unique. And we've used it in a lot of different ways. We, we have our podcast that we use uh, as part of our welcome series and onboarding series for new customers that, you know, shares the full origin story about, you know, my grandfather wasn't around for us when we decided to do it, but we have his wife, my grandmother, and some dear friends that have joined us on the podcast that, that knew him well from the very beginning that is something that people really appreciate. We get letters about people that have been with us for 20, 30 years hmm. buying our tea. And, and that's something that I know for a certain that a competitor, I don't know if you want me to mention them. Um, that don't give them the credit. Wouldn't, exactly. I don't need them to have any additional search. <laughs> but, you know, 
it's a combination of of heritage and tradition as well as education and that's something that we also try to put at the forefront with our content is how to take people that may not be the most knowledgeable about tea and how can we share in in, in a way that we can how can we share that with them so that they can expand their repertoire their savviness of tea so you have a branded podcast that is both that shares the brand story and teaches people about tea and that's part of a welcome series yes wow and like was it a one-off thing you recorded and like you, it's up there you set it and forget it or is it ongoing or you just record it when the mood strikes uh, it is a set it and forget it however we are we, we've had close to like twenty thousand downloads uh and and the ratings are nice which is great and we people have been asking for a season two. And last year we had started to develop a season two, but then things just got a little crazy. As the tea steeps, that's such a good name. <laughs> well, you know, we, 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 I did toy around with a number of different names. And for me, as the tea steeps was something that, you know, the, the episodes are somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes long. So it was something that you could put the kettle on, steep the tea while you're listening. And that was the idea. It was this combination oh. sensory experience. Yeah. And, and I like the idea. We, you said tea is a sensory experience. It hadn't occurred to me, but the moment you said it, it clicked. Because you're right. Like, tea is very colorful. And it's very um, aromatic. And you got to wait for it to cool. And uh, I don't know. There's a lot. It, it's kind of, it's fun. It is, it's genuinely, it's fun to make. I enjoy it. Like, in the summer, I don't really drink it. In the winter, I I get that that hot cinnamon spice. Oh my gosh! Yep. Any of the, that, the spice teas, I mean, that I'm, is uh, our golden egg, our golden goose, whatever you want to call it. Is the that, hot cinnamon spice? Is yeah, everybody's I mean, perennial I think favorite of of our skews, which we've gone into the number of them. <laughs> hot cinnamon. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is supposed to be said or not, but I'm like, you can't you can't deduce anything from it. But hot cinnamon spice makes up, I would say, close to 10% of our revenue. Wow. Yeah, yeah. With good reason. It's a genuinely good tea. Like, I was like, I like tea. Then I, you were like, like, this is our best. You got to get this. And I got it. And sure enough, it is literally the best tea I've ever had. I love it. I'm very into a lot of flavor, though. Well, the, it's certainly, I think for the, the how do I not shame you? Um, <laughs> the, more, the more educated tea drinker it might be a bit intense. It's aggressive. I think that's the theme of today, right. is that it, it's aggressive. It, it really does cover up the tea flavor. And in fact, when my grandfather- Oh, so had, if you're a purist, this is like complete bullshit. So it, this is the frappuccino of the tea world. No, I wouldn't even say that. But I will say that when my grandfather had acquired the recipe for this tea, Stanley Mason, his mentor, accused him of prostituting the tea um, because it, <laughs> if you can imagine a little 70 or 80 year old British man accusing my grandfather of prostituting tea, that's what happened. And, and it is, I mean, to an extent, you know, it, it, it's also, it's a blessing and a curse because obviously it, it makes up a lot of our revenue and it introduces a lot of people to our brand. The challenge was that nothing else tastes like it in our, in our lineup. So we, we have managed to find, um, we now offer it not only as a black tea, but as a green tea, an herbal and a decaf. So no matter what your preference of caffeine content or base tea may be, you can enjoy it. But we've also tried to create some equally powerful blends 
only succeeding with one, but at least it's one and it's not none. And that is hot apple spice. So hot apple spice is also very good. <laughs> so it's it's equally it's it's slightly less powerful and more sweet, less spicy. But I mean, hot cinnamon spice is like a piece of big red gum. It's a red hot. Um, it's intense. So I would. Yeah, I was it's, pleasantly it's surprised. Intense. This thing's like yeah. in your face, and it has this lovely orange color. I like it. Um, all right. So with three hundred varieties of tea and even more products and variants like that in your catalog. What kind of, uh, what kind of problems do you face with that? When you have such a big catalog of products that are all very similar, especially a challenge in e-commerce to convey what makes them different from each other enough so that you would want to try something new, especially when we look at single origin teas, where we're talking about, a steam sencha from Japan, and we have nine different senchas. And how do I, in a body of text and imagery and blog posts and things like that, how do we convey what makes Ichiban sencha different from Kagoshima sencha? There are some basic things to understand about those two different teas. One's um, a deep steam tea from the Shizuoka region, and one's from the island of Kyushu. So there's those types of differences. But from an actual tangible what somebody can understand and appreciate from that, that's a little bit harder. I also find that I run into issues of prior to Launchpad, perhaps, of putting things on sale and forgetting they were on sale. Oh, jeez. <laughs> because there is such, I mean, there's not necessarily a super easy way to be like, let me filter all the things in Shopify that have a compare at price. Don't even get me started on the fact that that's how they handle this whole thing with sales. But I love <laughs> Shopify, but I have a lot of thoughts. Anyways, it, you know, there's not an easy way to be like, oh, what have I put on sale that I forgot to take off sale? I mean, maybe people just are more organized than me. But that's something that definitely is a challenge. And beyond that, I think the other challenge that I, I run into is product discovery. And how do we not only, obviously, we have to educate people about the differences between the two, but in such a large product catalog, how do you direct somebody as a first-time consumer, maybe purchasing hot cinnamon spice, how do we direct them to the next thing that they will still like and not be disappointed by? And, and that is something that through a variety of, of apps, which we have many, we've tried to do. Uh, I think we, we've also discovered a lot of automation through email marketing that helps us guide people through that customer journey. And we're trying to do more on-site product discovery, whether it's quizzes, whether it's you know, watching human or not human behavior, watching customer behavior and and serving them content through pop-ups, through exit intent, through email that are related to their purchasing and browsing behavior. So I think, you know, we're getting there, on-site personalization and journey optimization. Yeah, when I land on the homepage, the featured product collection, it's a slider and it says recommendations for you. Is that personalized to me? It is now personalized to you. Cool. I, I think it'd be really fun to say Kurt in that situation. Because I'm sure we actually have your name somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're using Clavio. Clavio is a CRM. And or if I was logged in. Yeah. I, yes. Well, actually, well, all right, remind me that after the podcast. That's a thing we could try to do. Well, I don't even think that we would. I mean, uh, I think through Shopify you could do it, but we're actually using Nosto. And Nosto syncs in with Clavio. Oh, Nosto so, for personalization is so powerful. It could, uh, it, if anything could do it, I bet Nosto can. 
I, I'm sure Nostra can do it, and they they communicate really well with Clavio. So I believe that there wouldn't be any reason why, if you're a known customer, that it couldn't actually say your name in the same way that I believe Amazon does that. You know, recommendations for you, comma Emmerich. So uh, that Nosto on-site personalization thing is really cool. Are there any other nifty apps or widgets that sites run in that you're proud of? <laughs> Let me just pull up the really long list. We have 51 apps for anybody who's curious. Oh, oh no. Oh, wrong button. Ew. Ew. 51 apps? I don't believe this first one on this list is worth counting, and I'm sure there's many others. So we've got, I mean, we won't go through the whole list, but the first one is 3D Warehouse. And that was something that like when we were using Tapcart, which was our mobile app thing that we were using at the time, and Shopify was releasing this idea of using 3D renders of your products, I went down this road of having a large number of, of our top selling products created in, in AR so that people could put them in their tea cabinet for some oh, reason. Oh yeah, you did do that. <laughs> You had then, 3D models of this stuff. And then Shopify and Apple decided to change. And I did not want to pay you know, more money than I had originally paid to have everything converted since it was just a conversion. And so I just dropped the whole product. And now it's somehow the 3D warehouse is in there. But you know, we use I, I think some really powerful apps that we use are push notifications. We do you want me to say the apps names that I like? Or of course, yeah, rattle off, just pick a you know, like three what are your three favorites? You give them the free plugs. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that uh, I'll start with the one that I liked, which was Aimtel using push notifications as an added layer of connecting with our customers is nice. I am eager for the day that I have a more centralized communication between my push notifications and all my other areas of connecting with my customers. You know, maybe I believe Clavio has said that that is something in their pipeline where by you can choose whether you want to send somebody an email or a push notification or an SMS. And for me, I, I, I don't really get behind the SMS thing. I oh, find, really? I find companies texting me obnoxious. The only company that texts me on a regular basis that I don't mind is the local marijuana dispensary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right there well, with you, buddy. I, when they have something new, I'm kind of curious, but more often than not, I just, I, I, from especially from a marketing perspective, it's hard to justify that additional cost associated with SMS. Right. I don't find that there's platforms out there that really are able to identify net new traffic and focus on the fact that, okay, we as a website have 55% of our traffic is mobile, but how much of that traffic is net new? And I'd like, I'd pay money to market to those people, but nobody's really great because in the end, when I've done these experiments with SMS, I find that the people using my SMS are the people that I'm already emailing. So it's, I'm just paying twice to market to the same people and I'm giving them a new discount earlier than I really want to. So uh, okay. at this point, I mean, I think that maybe with Clavio, there's a way to, to get that a little bit more aligned where they know more data, so they would be able to, you know, choose how you're going to well, send us. Yeah, since the, if you have everything, like both the SMS and the email living in one CRM with Clavio, I'm sure you could, you could sort that out. You could segment yeah. it um, or use like a flow filter on it to, to stop that. I know my experience but, with, with SMS has been positive, so I was surprised by that. Uh, I just, I just, I also, you know, I, I look at our audience and our audience is a little bit, it's, it's a little less young. And so, I, I mean, we, 
I think, I don't even, I can't remember the term that Clavio talks about it, but 48% of our revenue comes from email. So it's not like we're in a position where email is not working. So the ROI so on Clavio is just massive. Hold up. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Clavio is for. Clavio is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chubby's, Brooklinen, and Keysmart use Clavio to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit Clavio.com to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to him. With a, a store that has 51 apps, what's it like <laughs> trying to, like, day-to-day -day with running a store with 51 apps? So you're like, man, everything's perfect and all this stuff is handled for me in my super powerful widget-enabled store? Or is it just like a game of whack-a-mole, e-commerce whack-a-mole every day? I would say it's generally whack-a-mole sometimes. You know, for instance, we just switched to a new product filter search thing. And there's just, you know, there's just layers and apps that, you know, when you have subscription products and you have one-time purchase products and you've got a loyalty program and you've got the instant add to cart situation and you want to add to cart from collection and you've got product SKUs and whether it's $3 or $20 and people feel like you've bait and switched them, you know, there's, which is what we dealt with yesterday. <laughs> um it, it oh right it, yeah because just and you had it was just the way they didn't like the way prices were displayed in the collection right and and in the end when you add something to your car it's still telling you the actual price but we dealt with this situation where a large number of customers started engaging with us on shopify chat and yelling at my sweet lady that sits behind that computer and you know it it it, it oftentimes there's a lot of things that create conflict when you have so many different experiences and apps and you know we've got the cookie bot gdpr and we've got you know we had yieldify which was that exit intent thing that we were doing and and now nosto and printify on demand and uh now we've got you know we're doing a lot of affiliate marketing so there's that to worry about there's just all these ways that these things interact that is generally not seamless and and, and very Shopify much a it turns into a Rue Goldberg machine where at the end the goal is a sale. But along the way, you know, as you add more and more pieces, there's just more to go wrong. Absolutely. And and you've been I think we've we've been working together I think it's been three years. I think it's been three years. I think I think when we first redesigned redesigned the website from whatever basic Shopify block theme we were on block shop or something to out of the sandbox. I mean, I think at that point we had 37 apps. So um, I did manage to delete two while we were talking. So now I'm down to 49. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. But I mean, some of them are really marginal. Like one is like customer fields where it just allows customers to edit their email address. You know, like that's just something that's super small and, and you know, not that important. So like, you know, like that one doesn't have a lot of, 
whack-a-mole situations where something went wrong. But there's some obviously some larger ones that that cause a lot of headaches. But there's also things in this this app lineup that like I created a custom app with a developer to allow people to submit where they've had Harney and Sons. And I paid a significant amount of money for that app. And it just never like it's sitting here in my apps, but it never it doesn't do anything. It never came to fruition. So I mean, there's some stuff here that's you know if you nothing. could so the Best part about Shopify for many people is the App Store. The worst part about Shopify is also the App Store. If you could wave a magic wand and just add any one feature to Shopify, what would it be? And it's not an app. Like, let's say you shop, you, Toby Lutke, founder of Shopify, is going to call you up on the phone and go tell you in his, his beautiful German accent, w- pick one feature and I'm going to add it for you. What is it? Well, I just I think that the the reporting features are are severely limiting, and I think that you know when you look at the different areas in which you can pull data from, you know the one that that at least pulls in the most amount of information is Google Analytics, but it's entirely inaccurate, which is the most annoying thing. And we've used Kissmetrics, we've used Glue.io. It's just. Shopify has all the data. They have all the referral information. They have all the source information. I just wish that we could manipulate it appropriately. And I think that that would be the biggest feature for me, just because as a marketer, if I don't have accurate data, how am I supposed to know what I'm going to do to move forward? So, you know, I I can pull the stuff from GA, but when you look at GA revenues off, actual quantities of products sold is off, you know, it, 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 you look at whether it's a, a last click, you know, attribution or whether it's a seven day window. I mean, you know, there's still just data that's not accurate. I agree with you. I like to use Shopify, Shopify's data and analytics as my my single source of truth. Um, but sometimes you get in a situation where you're limited. And for that, I'll often be like, OK, can I can I pull make this work at Google Analytics? But eh, what if it's not quite right? I got an app recommendation for you that might that might save your bacon. Better reports for Shopify. The app's name is literally better reports. It's really powerful. Well, so we we have used better reports, which has actually now been updated to report pundit. However, oh, it's got a different name now. They update. Are you switched? An, no, no, they created a new one, and they ah. said, "Please don't, please don't use better reports anymore. Use report pundit." And report pundit is powerful, but it still has limitations in the sense that it actually doesn't backdate your data. So if I want to look at, I mean, at this point, anything prior to this year is garbage in a sense because this year has been so transformative as far as direct to consumer marketing and commerce goes uh, for most brands, I should say, I don't know, I can't speak for all brands, but for us specifically, I mean, you know, we were looking at uh, April and July, which are usually small troughs in our revenue. And they were not equal to, but just almost, you know, like 10% shy of December numbers. And so of course, you know, anything prior to this year was, you know, why, why we look at previous year. Now we're just looking at previous period. And Report Pundit, you know, when we installed it in June, there was no data from April or May, which was really important for us. So it has limitations. I think that Shopify would really benefit, and I'm sure it's probably in the pipeline. And my MSM says, yeah, sure, maybe sometime. Um, <laughs> I, I do actually, my MSM has grown on me, and I won't say his name because Merchant for a while Merchant Success there, Manager, MSM. Yep. He irritated the crap out of me. No. But, I, I, but I, I find that, you know what I think that it is, is that they are so few as a group 
that they have to manage a large number of accounts and they can't make any promises because, you know, something may be in the pipeline, but they can't say, oh yeah, it'll be ready by Q4. I mean, that's something that, you know, as much as I love Clavio, they were like, yeah, push notifications, Q3, Q4, 2019. Wrong. Um, didn't happen. <laughs> true. I did not know that was in the pipeline. You're actually, I'm hearing it from you. Well, but to be completely, because for me, it was one of the reasons I thought about leaving Clavio and looking at something like, uh, what did I look at? Jesus, Amarsis. Um, we looked at Zaius, which that was a travesty. <laughs> As you defended my honor on Ew. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and what was another one that we looked at? I can't remember. Anyways, th those all had push notifications. The Clavio was like, no, no, stay. We'll, we'll get it for you. Um, unfortunately, it's not <laughs> happened. I've lived without. One, I, as long as we're, I want to go back to the, the topic of, of themes, the theme itself. Tell me about your page speed experience. <laughs> so I get weekly emails from my father, uh, who is my boss. And he loves to get, he pays for Pingdom, which is a site speed tool. And he loves to send me, oh, we're doing good this week. And then all of a sudden something will change. Oh, what the hell happened? And so page speed is obviously something that is super important to us as uh, e-commerce merchants, but it's such an, a bizarre, like there's so little that we can actually control. And, and oftentimes that anything that you can do might benefit your testing ability, but it doesn't actually benefit your site, which is something that we run into. We've done a number of different speed optimizations since apparently EtherCycle does not offer those. We had to look elsewhere. And <laughs> I'm not disagreeing. There's just there's some sass on that. <laughs> but we had had used an individual or organization, whatever, to do a number of different speed optimizations. And they were able to provide tangible results of, hey, we've increased your page speed from or decreased your page speed from 2.5 to 1.8. We we were able to to see the work that was done and the impact that it had. But then lo and behold, once we stopped worrying about page speed because we were beyond fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden we just started seeing things breaking and falling apart, it turned out it was because of said speed optimizations. So it's, it's a really frustrating thing because I'm pretty sure Google says I have a D on my mobile speed and desktop speed, but I think well, that when you- through. I'm running it through Google PageSpeed Insights tool right now, so we can we can see. And yeah, you're right. You we had an experience. Um, oh boy, we had an experience. I just got the PageSpeed score back. It's grim. The <laughs> you got on you mobile, have. you got a ten, which that's four points better than Gymshark, and they're valued at a billion. So nailed it. Ten, ten, ten out of a hundred. Yeah, on desktop you do a little better with thirty out of a hundred, and honestly, like most shopify themes that we work on like a lot of the section themes the out of the sandbox stuff it seems like the typical rating i see is 22 or 23 really that's like that's that tends to be where it is well i think i you know a lot of it is limited to how well one we use a lot of apps so that's one strike against us of many and then yeah you can't control you largely cannot control how the app is implemented on the site and that creates that like really dings your page speed score. Absolutely. I mean, you, you talk to these different apps and like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like loaded at the same time as the rest of the page. So like, it's not my fault. And 
but then you also have to deal with the fact that, you know, in an effort to optimize for speed, Shopify uses the CDN. And that oftentimes is one of the largest issues on the site. Obviously, JavaScript, you know, does, I think, in our case, make up a large part of the page speed issues. But, you know, there are just limitations within Shopify itself that I don't, I don't think that they could do all that much to make it better because of how many other great things that they've done with their framework. But, you know, I am eager for this next step they have kind of hinted about at their, their conference about how mobile speed is supposed to be a little bit better. I don't know if it was like a feature that I'm supposed to request or something, but they had talked about that. And I, I'm eager for well, that. Well, they implemented, I think the, the one that made a really big impact was um, your images are automatically served in a new format that Google loves called WebP. And it's very efficient and performant and good. But running your site, like the, I think my issue with PageSpeed score is it's not a particularly good metric for is a site slow or fast? Because you know, Harney, the homepage, the whole homepage, cold load, is three megs. It's not a big website at all. And the load time, it's going to load in three seconds. Okay, that that's fabulous. I mean, that's very quick. But, but according this, to Google. Got, <laughs> Google goes, what? 10 out of 100. Like, that's an F minus, minus, minus. Like, you almost got to no points. You would think a website that gets a score of 10 out of 100 or 30 out of 100, that it's like, well, you know, it took a minute and a half to load, which... I've seen we have we have done some some creative things with liquid that that broke some loops and we had I did work on a site where we were loading in 30 to 60 seconds that was grim and we fixed it but like that's the kind of experience one would expect when you see a page speed score that bad like my issue is the page speed score doesn't seem to have a basis in the actual functional this is the real life load time and then when no. you like to optimize for it to your point you end up Essentially, like a lot of the optimizations are playing to the rules. Like you are working to get the test score and you got to get aggressive with it. And then like down the road, other stuff starts breaking, especially when like, all right, well, we concatenated all of our JavaScript together and minified it. Oh, crap. Um, it, it, you, it, it created issues for us in our, the, the experience we had with your site. Yeah, well, because we were trying to like lazy load images or not load them right away. And then they were not loading the way I wanted them to and all these different things. But I mean, you know, two years ago, three years ago, our score was like a 76 and we were loading in 1.5 seconds. So, whoa, yeah, I mean, that's quick. But, but, but you and I were working on the same site, essentially. So like it's the same theme. Yeah, it has not changed. It, 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 the only thing that changed was how Google counts this. And you know, we, we have a, 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 I would say an effectively low bounce rate for the amount of sessions we get. And we also have a fairly high blended, you know, across device conversion rate. So, you know, I was gonna say, we, you also have a tremendously successful online store. Right. So you can only take it. I mean, what's really great in, in my experience is when my Google reps are like, oh, but if you optimize your page speed, you could be getting this much. So you should also spend this much more money advertising. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of things there that don't really make sense. But anyways, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think it's okay. Uh, it's just a scapegoat. I hate it. Yeah. You can't um, take it okay. We have gone, this has gone long. We got to start wrapping this up. You said your dad's your boss. What's it like working in a family business, especially one that has achieved this level of, of success and fame and, and global spread. I think it's, it's honestly, it's, it's much more good than bad working for your family. There obviously are moments where family politics come into play, 
but more often than not, we still operate as a highly functioning business. And what's really great about actually working for my dad is that he and I have a great relationship and he not just like lets me run loose with ideas and content and things like that, but is, is cautiously supportive. And okay. And I think that's really great. I do think that there are obviously some issues as far as maybe family politics are concerned, where I want to push the envelope. And for a long time, that was not Harney and Sons' Harney and Sons MO, you know. When you say push the envelope, what do you mean? I mean like incorporating a drag queen into one of our pieces of content or you know, raising our hands to be part of informed capitalism. And, you know, while we have always been an equal opportunity employer, did we necessarily put out all of that information? No. But I think in, in you know, and, and I've had to cautiously guide them into making some of these more outspoken decisions. Um, you know, right now, we are in the process of filming our next brand video. And I actually didn't have any pushback on this, but you know, we wanted to make sure that we had a variety of same sex and heterosexual cast um, in, the, in the, the, the spot. And we wanted to make sure that we had a wide diversity of people because it is important for us in our message of tea is an everyday affordable luxury, that tea time is any time, that anybody can be enjoying tea, that we are as inclusive to everybody. And like I said, this didn't have, this wasn't a challenge. I think in the past it was more like, a drag queen or tattoos was something that was a little taboo within the company and that was a challenge but the the corporate culture the family culture was conservative or just tea there i they were risk averse or risk, you know, risk averse tea just has a it's okay so they're like look we don't want to ruffle any feathers yeah it's it's definitely it was that statement and i think that you know some companies might be able to get by with that but i i don't think we can and I don't want to either. And I think that's been something that has been great to have, you know, like if I was just some other marketer working for the tea company, I've seen people in my position at this company have all of these issues because the family didn't want to do this or do that, you know, whether it was as simple as, I mean, we didn't even have a digital ad budget until I joined the company. Well, until I joined the company in my current position, you know, like, like that's obviously a completely different conversation about, you know, rather than developing a piece of content. But, you know, there is this benefit of I can push the envelope more so within my family and our corporate culture than any other marketer that we've ever had. And we've had, you know, a handful of very talented marketers in the past. But, you know, it, it certainly, I'm a tenacious individual and, uh, <laughs> and uh, being the son allows me to be more tenacious than I think uh, somebody else in my position could be. Well, I'm glad you you stuck to your guns and and pushed for it because the end result was really cool. And like the the video with the drag queen that you're talking about is so good and so neat. I love it. Um, is that the is that the featured hero video on the homepage right now? The featured hero image is actually about to change. So when we're talking right now, we actually have oh, okay. Yeah, we had a, a summer iced tea spot that we had done, and that was great. And so we're working with that same agency on a fall flavors video. But that's not even, we're actually filming two videos right now at the same time. So we're focusing on things like pumpkin spice, hot apple spice, and cranberry autumn as far as a flavors video for the fall. And then at the same time, we're working on a brand video that we'll release a little before, like somewhere between fall and Christmas. 
And that is the theme of it is tea time is any time. And so we're actually creating this story about the different times of day that people might be enjoying tea. And originally this concept was inspired by, there's a Delta video where it's all of these different people that are getting up and getting ready to go on their Delta flight. And it's got the Snow White song, hi ho, hi ho, we're off to work, off to work we go. And that really inspired me to, to take this message of what my grandfather was talking about, tea time is any time, and showing the different times of day. Because some people might think of like only afternoon tea. Some people might only think of tea as something that you might consume when you're not feeling well, like a chamomile with honey. And I just really wanted to encompass all of these different ideas of young, old, you know, couples, individuals, uh, of people that could be enjoying tea. And so we, I think we've got eight vignettes that we're filming. And right now they're filming a couple in Brooklyn. And, and obviously navigating filming during a pandemic has been challenging. You got to get right. creative. It, so when you is... create all this video content and like you're hiring a video production company, like clearly this is a, a non-trivial expenditure. Do hmm. you use that? Um, you just upload it to YouTube and forget it. Is it in ads? Does it get embedded in the website? Does it air on TV? What do we do with this video? So we, so we, like the last video we made was in 2017. That was a brand video. And we have milked that thing for three years and will continue to after the fact. So it, it's up on YouTube. So we use it, you know, as full ad spots of 60 seconds. We use it as bumper ads. We'll do six second ads. We'll do 30 second clips. Um, it'll go on Facebook. It will go into, I mean, we actually even use the audio from our very first, or the other video in our podcast intro. We'll use it in our Facebook ads. We do a combination of video and stills to create prospecting campaigns. And we'll cool. use the, the footage for that as well. And I think what will be really great about, especially since we're taking this idea of creating these different vignettes of, of people enjoying tea, not only will we have the blended 60 spot that we can use, we'll be able to then also take those little individual vignettes and create more tailored you know, maybe six to 30 seconds or something like that, that we can use to target specific demographics, whether it's, you know, we've got a really, the, the first one that we filmed was this group of three toddlers enjoying a super adorable tea party. And am I going oh, to cool. advertise to toddlers? No, but you know, uh, I yeah, think don't that caffeinate that my toddler. It's not a good idea. <laughs> Well, we do actually have a lot of great caffeine-free options, but you know, I, I think that that's something that we'll be able to use for a long time, which is great. So, so it, I, oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, if you make any great piece of content, get the mileage out of it. Do cut downs, put it everywhere you can. Oh yeah, I mean, we actually just we are now in the process of ex expanding our um, our non-purchaser flows as well as first-time purchaser flows because we have been putting out video content, blog content for over four years at this point, now that we've been on Shopify. And it just, it, like we had those, you know, we had flows there to begin with, but they were a little bit transactional. And I think that taking this opportunity to take this content that we've had for so long and reintroduce it to people that are new customers or people that don't know if they wanna make a purchase, is super important. So we're doing things about like how to brew tea. These are the essential items you need. And we have like four different blog posts about that. And we've got this interview series that we do with folks where we uh, look at influential people and how tea affects or it inserts itself into their lives. So we've got doctors, we've got artists, we've got musicians, and we've got, what was the other one that I just, I just approved was 
you know, the science of tea. So we're using our content in so many different ways. And, you know, for instance, we just wrapped today on our catalog, which is a print catalog that we mailed to 100,000 people. And, you know, we're going to be able to use stuff that we, we created exclusively for that print catalog, obviously, in all of our digital efforts as well. So being able to use it across the board, I mean, if you're going to pay anything for content to be made, use it more than once, absolutely. Uh, 100%. So in the future, all right, this we're, we're going to close on this question. In the future, what's next for Harney? I see we, we mentioned it. We touched on it a little bit. You're starting. You've got another brand called the Hemp Division. You're starting to get involved with CBD. Yeah. So, I mean, CBD is this whole crazy place where there's all sorts of state and federal legalities that we're dealing with. We are on our third payment processor in the last seven months. And there's an, an egregious amount of limitations, primarily because we're a consumption CBD company versus a topical CBD company. And so oh, Google, okay. Google and Facebook consistently either deny or flag our ads, which when you're thinking about starting a new brand, the, the, the most impact you can have is just eyes on the site. Like we know our product is good. We've been doing tea. So making tea and CBD together, we know the product is solid and people like it, but how do we get traffic to the site? And, you know, for a while there, Shopify was limiting us and we weren't allowed to be on Shopify. So we were on this really clunky other site <laughs> <laughs> and migrated over recently. And I mean, we, we have like a 1.3% conversion rate on that old site and we're already jumping up to 5% on Shopify. So Whoa. Just, yeah, I mean, just the, the infrastructure about Shopify, you just can't underestimate the impact it has, um, especially with its infrastructure of apps. You know, we, we didn't have a trusted site icon prior. We didn't have recommendations prior, you know, so this whole experience now that we're now on Shopify, it's just, we're seeing the company grow so much more. So, you know, I think that over the next few years, we're going to continue to put out new products uh, for both brands. And I, I don't know, like, if I had like a five-year vision of where Harney and Sons is going to be, I mean, maybe we'll be an eight-figure company. Maybe you just prophesized, prophesized, <laughs> prophesized. It's a self-fulfilling, <laughs> no, I think that one's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I have 100% faith. But I, I think that, you know, uh, not to like toot the Shopify horn, but being able to pivot when need be, whether you're in a pandemic or you're in a situation where you're like, I need more, I need to spend more money. I mean, right now we've, I think we've nearly doubled our ad budget from last summer. I think that's a true statement. And I believe it. Yeah. And I mean, just being, we were on Magento prior to Shopify and to be in a, in a place where you need to pay this heavy agency retainer to just even update a product was just ridiculous. So Shopify being able to be nimble and make changes, put things on sale, put, you know, have these access to these platforms that can help you sell better. I mean, I just can't say what it's done for us. We were plateaued sales wise for almost five years on that on Magento site. And we have consistently, and regardless of Corona, we've consistently seen 20 to 30% annual growth each year that we've been on Shopify. And Whoa. I mean, we put money into it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like you can't just like, oh, I'm going to go on Shopify. Set it, yeah. 
Like, yeah. oh, Jeff, I'll just do it for me. No, you no, have no. to have a plan. No, I mean, you have to be putting content out. You have to have great customer service. You know, we, since Corona started in March, we have been seven days behind on shipping, which is awful. But it's because like, obviously business is, is good. Um, and it wasn't until just like last week that we finally got back to same day shipping, which was something we did prior. So, you know, like you have to have all of the pieces of the puzzle, the operations, the customer service, the great product, the USPs, you know, all of those things are, are part of the, the equation. Um, but Shopify certainly, you know, is a large part of it as well. So I, I, I think that we'll continue to see tremendous growth and we'll just hopefully become an even larger household name, which I don't know if my grandfather ever imagined he'd be a household name, but I think at least within the tea community, most people might know who we are, whether or not. That's cool. It's it beyond is, that. It's fun. You should be hard, proud. Yeah, thank you. You have done uh, tremendous things in, in managing and growing um, the online brand and, and the retail stores. Uh, if someone wanted to learn more about you, where can they go? Um, you can uh, find me on Instagram. Emmerich Harney, E-M-E-R-I-C-H-A-R-N-E-Y. I actually don't post a lot about tea on my Instagram. Uh, I, do. I don't post about e-commerce on Instagram. I guess that's true. Oh, like videos of my rabbit. <laughs> Love that rabbit. That rabbit is like the chillest rabbit I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> uh, or if you, I guess if you have questions, uh, my email is on our website under the PR media inquiries, um, or it's just emmerich at harneytees.com. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to generally entertain questions and share insights that I have about e-commerce, tea, whatever. Uh, so if people want to ask questions, I'm there. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, this has been fabulous. Thank you for, for, for being here and sharing this with us and, and, and being so open about the journey. It, I, I'm sure it'll be valuable for people. I hope so. If you've ever updated your Shopify theme, you know how time-consuming it can be, especially if you have to migrate customizations like app installs or language edits. Fortunately, there's a better way. The folks at Out of the Sandbox built a tool that makes updating your theme faster and significantly easier. It's called the Theme Updater app. With it, you can update your Out of the Sandbox or Pixel Union theme with the click of a button without losing any of your old settings, customizations, or app installations. You'll get email notifications whenever a new version of your theme is available. And with the Pro Plan option, you can enjoy access to priority theme support, retain custom language edits, and view template customizations to accelerate your theme updates. Start updating your theme today. Go to outofthesandbox.com unofficial to see the theme updater in action. And best of all, if you purchase Flex or Turbo using the code KURT20, you'll save 20% and get a year of access to the theme updater absolutely free. That's right. Save 20% and get one year of updates and upgrades for free. That's code KURT20 for 20% off Flex or Turbo and one year free of the Theme Updater app. Never miss out on another theme update again. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, 
for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.